Zechariah chapter 1, please. Zechariah chapter 1. And we're going to commence reading in verse 7. Zechariah chapter 1. For the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, which is the month Sebat, in the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Idu, the prophet, saying, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom, and behind them there were red horses, speckled and white. Then said I, O Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show thee what these be. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth. And behold, all the earth sitteth still and is, and is at rest. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast had indignation these threescore and ten years? And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comforting word, comfortable words. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous of Jerusalem and for Zion with great jealousy. And I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts. And a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry ye, uh, cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad. And the Lord shall yet comfort Zion and shall yet choose Jerusalem. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We thank you for uh, giving us your precious truth. We thank you, Father, that we have recorded for us by divine revelation the very words of God himself. And we pray that, Lord, tonight as we... Uh, read uh, this prophecy as we seek to understand this book that you give us understanding you'd give us instruction you give us uh, leading father god i pray that you'd help me to have clarity of thought help me to speak uh, with uh, boldness but with clearness and may father tonight your word be a blessing to our hearts challenges encourages and builds up in the faith through your word and may we leave this night having known that we've been in your presence May you receive all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. After the uh, preparatory message of Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, Zechariah now passes to the record of the prophetic visions, which are given to him some three months later than the original prophet's original contact with the Lord. In verse 7 we read, Upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, which is the month Sebat, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord. In chapter in verse one, it says, "In the eighth month." So, if my maths are correct, uh, eleven minus eight leaves three. So, three months later, uh, Zechariah receives the message from the Lord. This prophecy 
comes to Zechariah. So there's been a, 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 an interval between the first six verses and now the seventh verse of three months. And it's on the 24th day of that month. Notice again in verse 7, upon the 4 and 20th day of the 11th month. So it's the 24th day of the 11th month, which is interesting because not always does God give us the day as well as the month, but the Lord here gives us the day. And the reason for that is because it's a significant day. You see, for on that day, five months earlier, the work of the house of the Lord of hosts had been resumed. Go with me to Haggai, please, the previous book. Haggai chapter 1. And verse 14. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all that the remnant of the people, and they came and did the work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, in the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So five months prior to the events of Zechariah chapter 1 verse 7, the work of the Lord commenced in the house of the Lord God. Uh, the building of the temple had been resumed. And chapter 2 and verse 18, we read about it again of Haggai. Consider now from this day and upward, from the 4 and 20th day of the ninth month, even from that day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. So the 4 and 20th day of the month is mentioned again, this time in the, uh, uh, in the 4 and 20th day of the ninth month, so two months prior to the verse uh, 7 of chapter 1, the date is mentioned again. And also that day, two months earlier, Haggai delivered a stern rebuke to the priests and uh, for their uh, impurity and to the people for the delay in building the temple. Look in Haggai chapter 2 again, please, and verse 10. In the 420th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the Lord, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with the skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priests answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, if one that is unclean be by dead, a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, so is the peop this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is, an un there is unclean. And now I pray you consider from this day and upward from the uh, before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days were when one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were ten, but ten. And when one came to the uh, press fat for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with a blasting and with mildew and with hail in all the labors of your hands, yet ye turn not to me, saith the Lord." So the 20th, 4th day of uh, this month is significant, or the 24th day is significant, because on that 24th day, some five months earlier and three months earlier and two months earlier, certain events have taken place. And so now, again, we find in the 11th month, the 4th and 20th day is mentioned again. 
And so it's significant. And it's significant that on this day, Zechariah receives these ten wonderful visions, which are described for us here in the book of Zechariah. Now, the usual procedure for each of the visions that Zechariah receives is the same. What happens is the visions are described to him usually with regard to these visions. The prophet is first shown something. He's shown the vision. Then the curiosity of the prophet is aroused and he asks a question concerning the scene that he has seen. And then in response to the question, he receives an interpretation from the Lord for the vision. And here in Zechariah chapter 1 and verses 7 through 17, we have the first of these visions, the vision of the horses and the man among the myrtle trees. The theme of this vision is God has not forgotten Jerusalem. And we read about that towards the end of this vision. For he says in verse 14, So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. And I am very, I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, for I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with my mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and the line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. And then in the end of verse 17 he says, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. So the theme of this vision that the prophet receives is that God has not forgotten Jerusalem. And so in the dead of night, according to verse 8, it says, I saw by night, in the dead of night, the prophet sees a man riding on a red horse, and behind him other horses. I saw a man, I saw by night, and behold a man riding upon a red horse and stood among the middle trees, that were in the bottom, and behind him were their red horses, speckled and white. Now, before you and I look at this vision, which we won't get to do tonight, we will next time in the Zechariah, we do need to answer some questions, and we need to ask some questions and then answer the questions. Okay, we need, before we consider it, we must ask, who is the man in verse 8? What's the significance of the colours of the horses? And what is represented by the myrtle trees? Okay, if we're going to understand this vision, we've got to understand the characters involved in the vision. So notice me first of all, the man. Who is the man? Verses seven, uh, verse 8. I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse. Who is this man? Well, verse 11 reveals to us who he is. It says, and they answered the angel of the Lord that stood amongst the myrtle trees. So this one in the midst of the myrtle trees is none other than the angel of the Lord. Now a careful study of the term angel of the Lord in the Old Testament reveals to you and I that this refers to no ordinary angel. We find the phrase the angel of the Lord, usually it refers to one person, one person only, and that is Jesus Christ. It's also known as the angel of his face, or the divine angel of the covenant. This is none other than the second person of the Trinity. This is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ as the angel of the Lord. 
And Christ appeared here in this vision to Zechariah, as he'd done to many individuals and many prophets before. You know, the angel of the, me- and, uh, or the, angel of the message Jehovah had come in the form of a man, or the form of an angel, to mankind in the past. He came to Hagar in uh, Genesis chapter 16. He appeared to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18. Remember the three angels came and they talked with them and Sarah laughed in her tent because the angel said that she would get pregnant. And then you know the story, they, when they left, two of them went on to Sodom and one stayed with Abraham and that was the angel of the Lord. In Genesis 21, 22, we find the angel of the Lord again at the time of the sacrifice of Isaac. It's also found in Exodus chapter 2, Judges chapter 4, and numerous other places in the Old Testament. You find this phrase, angel of the Lord. And in each instance, it is clear that this is no ordinary angel. This is somebody who is unique. It is the pre-incarnate representation of Jesus Christ. So we find here that Christ has come, uh, that Christ himself is standing in the midst of the myrtle trees. We can assume that this is God appearing here in the person of Jesus Christ as the angel of the Lord, as he had done to Abraham and others in the past. You know, Christ dwells there with them. We're going to see who the myrtle trees represent. But you know, the joy is that as believers, he dwells with us too. The Lord Jesus Christ dwells with us today. It's a joy to know that as Psalm 46 verse 1 says, that God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in trouble. He is right here with us in our midst, that where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. He is with us. He is there in our midst He is with us day by day. The Lord Jesus Christ is present with us. He was with them here in the Old Testament, but we have this promise in the New Testament that he definitely is with us. And that's a comfort for us to know that whatever we do, Jesus is with us. Secondly, we must ask the significance of the color of the horses. We find the man is riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom. Behind were the red horses, speckled and white. Zechariah's vision is simple enough. Okay, well, what he saw is simple to understand what he is looking at. He saw one man on the horseback, a red horse, leading other horses and their riders. And what they're doing is they're patrolling to and fro throughout the earth. Look in verse 10, if you would, please. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro through the earth. So here's the image. (coughs) We have a man sitting upon a red horse. Behind him are other riders on horses, red and speckled and white, and uh, they're amongst the myrtle trees, and their job is to go forth throughout the earth, patrolling the earth. They're on a reconnaissance mission. And they're going through Jerusalem and Judah to examine the progress of the work of God. They're, 
they're examining the progress of the rebuilding of Jerusalem, rebuilding of the cities of Judah. How is the work going? These are going forth to check out the work of the Lord. They're sent forth to examine the work of God's people in rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the city, rebuilding the other cities of Judah, and to see how the things go. It reminds us that God is interested in his work. You know, we don't have a God who just sits up there who is watching us. There was a famous song, you know, God is uh, in the heavens watching us. Well, he's doing more than watching us. God actually cares about what we're doing. And God is looking upon us. And he's looking at what we're involved in. Psalm 34 and verse 15 says, which actually Pastor mentioned this morning in Peter, Okay, Psalm 34 and verse 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. He's watching us, and he's listening to us. God cares. God cares about what we're doing. He cares about our actions. He cares about uh, the circumstance we find ourselves in. He cares about his work. You know, it's not a case of God has uh, saved you and I and then set us free and God's sitting back and saying, well, whatever happens, happens, I don't care. God does care. God is watching us and his ears are open unto our cry. You know, that ought to challenge you and I to be faithful to the Lord, to finish the course that he has set for us, to trust him day by day because he is watching and right here it's illustrated for the nation of israel the lord himself is in their midst watching them he is watching over them he's on a reconnaissance mission to find out how the work goes to find out what the enemy's up to as we're going to see in this vision he doesn't only care about what the the nation of israel is doing but what's the nations up to and he becomes rather upset with the nations and their their continued attacking of the nation of Israel, and he's going to deal with them in judgment. God is interested in what we do, and it ought to stir you and I on to be faithful to the Lord. So here are the horses. The first horse is a red horse. There's a red horse, and behind the red horse are other riders on red horses. And the idea of the red horse is that they're going to go forth in vengeance. For red speaks of judgment in prophetic words. It speaks of blood as well as this matter of vengeance. It's to an angelic rider on a horse of this color that the great sword is given. Look with me in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 4 just to illustrate what I mean by the fact that this is a sword of vengeance, sword of judgment. Revelation chapter 6, please. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 4. So there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat upon uh, thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So the rider on the red horse in Revelation is given a great sword that he may take peace from the earth. You know, it's, the, it's uh, also we find that the garments of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, are dyed red. 
when he comes forth in the day of vengeance, in the day of judgment, to establish his kingdom, when he comes, he comes with his vesture dipped in blood. It's dyed red. And he comes to tread down the nations, to pour out the wrath of God upon the nations. He comes forth in this vesture dipped in blood. Once again, this idea of red signifying judgment, vengeance. And here in Zechariah chapter 1, it doubtless signifies the same thing. There is the angel of the Lord sitting on a red horse behind him, more red horses and their riders. And we see here that the, angel, the, the readiness of the angel of Jehovah to go forth and to execute judgment upon Israel's oppressors. Here is a, here is a, a wonderful blessing given to the nation of Israel that God knows their struggles. He knows their enemy. And he's about to send forth these horses to wreak judgment upon the nations that have brought judgment upon Israel. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And he's about to repay. Here in Zechariah chapter 1. And this is meant to be a comfort to Israel. God knows us. His eyes are upon the righteous and his ears are open to our cry and now he's going to go forth and deal with their enemies. The second horse, we're told here, is speckled here in verse 8. Were there red horses, speckled and white? Now speckled is uh, an interesting word because there doesn't seem to be anybody who actually understands the definitive meaning of the Hebrew word for speckled. Okay? And it didn't matter where I read, I couldn't get anyone who really could come down with a, uh, and I don't know Hebrew well enough to uh, make a bold statement of what I think the word means, and I couldn't find anybody who came down the best I could come up with was that what we have here is a, the color of this horse is a combination of the two other colors, a combination of red and white. And uh, that uh, it's speckled in that idea. And uh, because it speaks of a mission on which the hang angelic host is sent forth, those riding on these horses, uh, these are mounted in, in, in order to be sent forth on a mission of mixed character. There's going to be judgment and mercy. And we'll see that as we get to the vision proper. Judgment and mercy. That God's going to judge the nations, but he's also going to show mercy unto those to whom he would show mercy. And then the third horse is white. And white always speaks of victory. Go back to Revelation chapter 6, please. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2. I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. This speaks of victory, it speaks of triumph. You know, God will receive victory, will receive glory when his champion goes forth on that day. In Revelation chapter 6, when Jesus Christ comes and 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 uh, uh, returns when when he goes forth, his champion goes forth. God will get the glory. When Christ returns, God will will indeed win the victory. And God will God's glory will be exalted 
in the victory of Christ. And in this vision, we see the legion of the angels mounted upon these white horses, ready to obey the command of their great captain to go forth in victory. Israel is going to win a great victory. They are going to rebuild the temple. They're going to rebuild the city and the cities of Judah. And God is going to get the glory as God rebuilds the city. It's intended to convey to the prophet and to the people the message which God intended to impress upon the people. And that message was this, that God, uh, that with God deliverance is possible. That God has the power to deliver them. You know, they, are, they have just left Babylon. They've come back to the, to the city of Jerusalem and they're seeking to build the temple and all they face is opposition. And you know the story under Zerubbabel, the, the work ceased. That's why the book of Haggai was written. To stir up the people so that the people would get back to rebuilding the war, rebuilding the city. Sorry, rebuilding the temple. But you know, also under Ezra and Nehemiah, when they go back to rebuild the walls, they have the same problem. Remember, there's those great fellows called Tobiah and Gershom, you know, and they mock them and say, even if a little fox ran across the top of the walls, it would fall down. And and uh, uh, they seek to get Nehemiah to come out and and want to get him and and kill him and. And, and it just goes on, and they're going to face opposition upon opposition upon opposition as they seek to build the temple, as they seek to build the walls of the city, as they seek to build the cities around of Judah, there is going to be opposition. But God wants them to know that with him, he has the power to deliver them. You see, the reason why they'd been in captivity for 70 years was not God's inability to deliver them, but their sin had made them vulnerable to God's judgment, God's punishment. The problem is not God here. Seventy years of captivity is not, the problem is not God. The failure to finish the temple is not, the problem is not God. The struggle, you know, the, the, the tendency to want to not build the walls, as I'm sure some came discouraged, the problem is not God. God has the power. The problem is the people. They just didn't have the faith to obey. Before they went into captivity, God had preached to them and warned them after, through prophet after prophet. They'd seen the northern kingdom go into captivity and the southern kingdom of Judah had been warned and warned and warned about the possibility of captivity if they didn't obey God and they still disobeyed him. The problem was not God's ability to deliver. The problem was their inability to obey. The reason why the temple ceased under Zerubbabel was not God's inability to empower and protect them because God was watching them. His ears were over under their cry. He would deliver them. He would give them the ability to finish the job. The problem was not God. The problem was the nation of Israel. And Israel stands as a great example to you and I. You know, the only reason for our continued struggle with the flesh is not God's inability to deliver us, but our unwillingness to surrender to the Lord. Now, we all battle with the flesh, every one of us, including the pastors. We all struggle with the flesh. The flesh is ever-present with us. The great apostle Paul said, 
Who will deliver me from this body of sin? The things that I would, I do not. Those things that I would not, those things I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, he says. We all struggle with the flesh. But you know what Paul goes on to say? He says, thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, there is victory in Christ. It's not God's inability to deliver us. It's our unwillingness or our inability to trust him that causes you and I to fall. God is able, isn't he? He is able to deliver us. Don't we sing that song? He is able, he is able. He is able to deliver us. And he is. God is able. The problem is not God's power. The problem is not God's ability. The problem is our inability to surrender. Our unwillingness to place our faith in God. We can have the victory. The Lord has already provided the way. Romans chapter 6 and verse 7. Verse 11 says... Likewise, reckon yourselves also, sorry, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Didn't Paul say in Galatians, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who liveth in me. Doesn't John say faith is the victory that overcomes the world? You see, you and I can have the victory. The problem is not God's inability to deliver. It's our inability to believe that he can. God is able. The only thing that stops you and I having victory, the only thing that stops you and I succeeding for Christ is our lack of faith. And Israel stands as a great example of that. So we've seen who's the man. We've seen the horses. Thirdly, let's ask the question, what is represented by the myrtles, by the myrtle trees? Verse 8. It says, I saw by night the beholden man riding upon a red horse, and either stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom. Now Christ is seen sitting on a red horse among the myrtle trees. The original Hebrew used here for the word myrtle is an interesting one. Because it simply is the Hebrew word name for Esther, Hadassah. So the name myrtle in the Hebrew comes from the name Esther, Hadassah. And the word speaks of humble but fragrant tree. Hence the translators translated the myrtle tree because it is a humble fragrant tree and also because myrtle trees covered the neighborhood of Jerusalem these trees are symbolic of the nation of Israel Christ is seen standing in the midst of the nation of Israel Christ is sitting atop a red horse in the midst of his people the myrtle tree, it says, the myrtle tree, that were in the bottom. Now, in the bottom, apparently, is a very hard Hebrew phrase to translate. So it's another one of those things you run to, tra- to commentators to give you an understanding of. 
and the first thing you read in every commentator is, the Hebrew here is very difficult to translate. But you know that what they're about to say is going to be uh, as helpful as they can be, but you probably are never going to have a definitive answer. But, once again, it is believed that this phrase in the modern means a shady place, a deep place. It's kind of a contrast. What God's trying to explain here is a contrast. Because it's interesting to note, the Lord does not use a majestic cedar or the lofty oak. The symbols of great willpower is to picture the nation of Israel here. Israel is not seen as a lofty oak, as a mighty cedar. But what they're seen as is a lowly, fragrant myrtle tree. Growing in the most part in the shady valley. Out of the world's gaze. When no one could see them. That's what God chooses to represent his people. This tree in a valley out of public view. That's what he says about the nation of Israel. It seems to speak of the sorrow to which Israel has just passed captivity in Babylon. This nation was a nobody. There's nothing grand about Israel at this time. The nation of Israel had been decimated. The city was burned. The gates were, the city had been ransacked. The gates had been burned. The temple was not fully built yet. The, the city was a mess. And, the, and the, the surrounding villages had been attacked by the enemy all the time. And there was nothing grand about the nation of Israel. Israel was a humble Myrtle tree in a valley, insignificant. The people had been humbled. But now God is about to speak and God is about to act. The humble nation of Israel, they've been brought to their knees. They've spent 70 years in captivity. And now God is about to act. He's about to work for them because they've been humbled. And you see, anything that happens from this time forth, who's going to get the glory? It's not going to be Israel. They're not a grand cedar. They're not a mighty oak. They're not a, they're not a grand nation. They're a humble people who can't even finish building the temple. And anything that happens from this time forth, God is going to get the glory because his people have been humbled. Sound like a New Testament verse to you? Well, it ought to. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. We're told to humble yourselves, therefore in the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. You see, we've got to be humbled first before God will exalt us. Why? Because when God, hum God exalts the humble, he gets the glory. When God enables you and I, when we've, we've hit rock bottom, when you and I really are just bowing the knee before a holy God saying, Lord, I cannot. God says, I can. And when you and I say, Lord, help me, God says, I will. Why? Because his eyes of the Lord are watching us and his ears are open unto our cry. And when we cry out to God, says, I'm here. Now let's move 
and he gets the glory. And that's what's going on here for the nation of Israel. God is going to give them the victory. Christ sits atop the horse, ready to do God's bidding to deliver the nation. Go with me to Isaiah 43, verse 2, please. It's a great promise to the nation of Israel. Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43 and verse 2. When thou passest through the waters, I'll be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle thee. For I, the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Saviour, I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. He's the Lord God. He's their Saviour. He will deliver them. And today is true for you and I. Christ is with us. And he will deliver us. Contrary to the opinion of some, the Lord has always and will always be with his people and care for them. He's not finished with Israel. And he's not finished with his people. Go to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9 because here's a wonderful parallel. Here the Lord is upon a red horse in the midst of the myrtle trees. Look where the Lord is today in Revelation chapter 1 verse 9. I, John, who also am a brother and companion in tribulation in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the Isle of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit in the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia and Ephesus, uh, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and to Pergamos and Thyatira and Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. Being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. That's the seven churches. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, in the midst of the seven churches, one like this under the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down his foot, girded about with his paps, with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, and as white as snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire, and his feet like under brass, and if it burned in the furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was the sun shineth in his strength. Where's Christ standing today? In the midst of the churches. In Zechariah, he stands in the midst of the nation of Israel, ready to deliver them. Today, he stands in the midst of the churches, ready to do the same for us. What a great God we have. He's in the midst of us and he will help us. Remember, God is our refuge and our strength, the very present help in a time of trouble. We're never alone. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will deliver us. So we've seen the man, we've seen the horses, we've seen the myrtle trees and one last thing. The prophet then asks a question in verse 9 and 10. Then said I, O Lord, what are these? 
And the angel that talked with me said to me, I will show thee what these be. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. Then said I, O Lord, what are these? In response to the prophet's question, the angel promised to show or explain to the prophet the meaning of the vision. He says in verse 10, I, uh, he says, the man who was in the midst of the myrtle tree said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. In verse 9 he says, I will show thee what these be. I'll make thee see, he says. I'll give thee understanding and a mind to understand the visions and the explanations which follow. And in verse 10, the angel answers, they have been commissioned of the Lord to roam the earth and report back to him. Let me see for the first time that the angel spoke with me, he says in verse 9. Then said I, O Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me, the Lord spoke with him. This is truly a consolation for God's people. It's a comfort to know that when the enemy attacks, the Lord knows, the Lord cares, the Lord will speak with us, the Lord will deliver us, the Lord will help us. You know, when Satan came to God in the day of Job and was asked the question, whence comest thou? He says, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down in it. And the reason and the aim for his activity, the activity of the enemy, according to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, is that, that our enemy is like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. And if we were left to ourselves, we would surely be devoured. Psalm 34 and verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him. And while the devil and his hosts walk on the earth, you and I need to know this, that God also has his messengers who walk to and fro on this earth to frustrate the efforts of our enemy. That's what's going on here. God said, these are they that are going to and fro through all the earth. These are angelic beings, messengers of God, who are going about to give you the victory. And today, you and I are not alone. There are ministering spirits, those who camp around us to shield us. Ministering spirits, those who are heirs of salvation. The devil would love to destroy us. Beloved, you and I can rest assured that the Lord will aid us and give us the victory. Zechariah reveals to us in these verses that the Lord is extremely interested in the affairs of men, especially in the affairs of his people. Even today, God is interested in us and in our work for him, in his work. And you and I can rest assured that we can trust him for he will ensure that his will is done and his work accomplished. He will give the victory if you and I will live by faith. If the just will live by faith, we will have the victory. What a wonderful Savior we have, don't we? That he indeed is in the midst of us and will deliver us.
call upon him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this night. We thank you, Father God, for Zechariah, and we thank you, Lord, that the promises here, that the Lord was in the midst of the myrtle trees, in the midst of the nation of Israel, and Revelation tells us he stands in the midst of the churches. We thank you, Father God, that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there are you in the midst. We thank you that you've promised, the Lord promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us, that lo, he is with us always. We thank you, Father, that the angel of the Lord encamped around about us. We thank you, Father God, that the victory is promised. If we'll humble ourselves before a holy God, we can indeed have the victory. Lord, commend your word to our hearts this night. And bless us, we pray, as we sing this hymn in Jesus' name.